0: Let us welcome uh, Pastor David Edwards to minister to us tonight. Praise God.
1: Thank you, Father. Oh, we thank you, dearest Jesus. We thank you. Even as your light shines upon our hearts, yes, even as our hearts are uh, caused to be enlarged, by the the splendor of your your beauty, the shining of your your light and wisdom. Oh, we thank you. We thank you. We receive revelation. Understanding is unlocked within us. Counsel breaks forth. We receive clarity. Perception is... Cost to be released within each one in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. Glory to God forever and ever. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. All right. we may have our seats. Praise God forever. Amen. Good evening, everyone. All right. Um, it's a blessing to be here again. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> so, um, um, you know, while Pastor was speaking and um, uh, trying to explain to us what the word terraformation means, you know, sometimes um, um, people can
0: many times be caught off guard by, you know, they can be roughened by words. When you hear words like this and think, oh, what's that? Now, but you see, really, when you look at these words, in context of scripture. It's not new. All right? Now, while you may not see the word terraformation in your King James Bible, the the concept in regards to the operation exists in scriptures. Are we paying attention? Now, maybe we should begin by um, looking at um, the book of Hebrews, chapter 11.
1: Hebrews, chapter 11. All right, chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews.
0: Um, Okay, let's see from verse 1. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen.
1: For by it, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that
0: Things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Then he goes on to you know, give us a list of different men and women that fall within the category of the people he called elders. All right? Remember? Verse 2, he says, For by it the elders obtained a good report. Verse 3, he says, Through faith we understand that the worlds... Now, if you, if you look at the original Greek manuscripts, right, the Greek language... All right, with which the New Testament was originally written. The word, therefore, the word worlds is the ages. All right, the ages. Now, I want you to pay attention, all right, we are going to be picking up from there. That word world is from the Greek word ages. All right, so it says, We understand that by faith, <clears throat> by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The words were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Now, we're going to be looking at this scripture um, time and time again. Now, if you go back to the mandate that God gave to the first man, all right, the first man, Adam. If you go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, all right, you would see that. That man that God created was given a responsibility, all right? So for the next um, couple of days, we'll be revisiting what that mandate was. You know, because um, to a large extent, um, uh, different ideas have been given to what that mandate is, all right? that does not exactly capture what it originally was. Amen. Now, the Bible tells us in chapter 1 of Genesis, verses 1, it says that in the beginning, right, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? Now, verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. Now, a careful Bible study will let Anyone see that it's obvious that something did happen between verse 1 and verse 2? All right. Now, as a matter of fact, it's an opinion, you know, popularly held amongst scholars, Bible scholars. All right. Something actually transpired between verse 1 and verse 2. Okay. So, what happened is that um, the earth you see in verse 1, in verse 2, rather, that's It says was without form and void, all right? It's not the same as the one you see in verse 1. All right? The earth you see here that is without form and void is a tiny part of the earth which he says was created in verse 1. Are we paying attention? Just follow, all right? So, verse 1 says, can we see verse 1 again? It says, um, Yes, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, all right? Now, if you look at scriptures, you will see that the way God created all things, all right, is as against setting eternal structures. You see, there is a, there is a structure, all right? That defines the creation of all things. The manner in which God went about creating the things that we see today and the things that we cannot see, all right, is not is not um, scattered. You see, the eternal realms of God has a structure. Scripture bears witness to that. Are we here? Scripture bears witness to that. Okay, so when you look at verse one. The heavens and the earth created here were created as against a structure. But what you see in verse 2, what you see in verse 2 is a part of what was created in verse 1 that had fallen into darkness because of the, because of the, the fall of the being that was given responsibility of oversight. You see, everything that God created, now I want you to follow, please, all right? It is cool, you can see. All right? So just follow, all right? Everything that God created, all right, I said was created with a divine structure. And one of the things that God has used to determine the structure of all things, all right, is the beings that He brought forth. Now, repeatedly in the the scriptures, when we see the manifestation of God's throne, repeatedly, all right, we see that there are creatures around God's throne. There are beings that are given the responsibility of stewarding God's presence, stewarding the government of God. Repeatedly, all right, where the throne of God is highlighted, you see the four living creatures. Always you see the four living creatures. You see it in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, You see it in the book of Revelations. All right. Four living creatures. All right. You see the 24 elders. Are we paying attention? Repeatedly. Now, Ezekiel lived long before John came. All right. And John saw exactly what he saw. Are we paying attention? So, repeatedly. Now, in Isaiah, Isaiah saw something similar. He saw the manifestation of God's presence and he saw living creatures he called seraphims. You see? And the manifestation of God's glory. When you look at Daniel too, Daniel talks about the manifestation of God's throne. Alright. And other thrones. So when you look at the scriptures. You will see that God is a God of divine order. Every time in the scriptures God is revealed. There is always this expression of divine structure. Things are not scattered around God. There is a divine order that defines the operation of all things around God, his presence, his government. Are we paying attention? Repeatedly throughout scriptures. Okay. Now, if, if you go into the Old Testament, if you look at what God did, for example, with the children of Israel, you will see that with them, God, as it were, replicated. All right to an extent the pattern of things as they exist above. If you look at Israel and look at how they were arranged around the tabernacle. Are we paying attention? In fact, if you study carefully with, with, you know, if you look at this carefully with Moses, you will see that how they came into that understanding is in a manner that is progressive, all right? You will see that when you look at Moses, you will see that how Moses arranged the tribes of Israel, all right, and the elders around the tabernacle was in a manner that captured the number 12, all right? Several years after, in David's time, David went beyond Moses, all right, and rearranged the priests, Alright, and in the manner in which they were to bring forth service, alright, in a manner that captures the number 24. Why is that? It's because everyone, alright, everyone by the Spirit, they were continually looking into the heavens. Continually looking into the heavens. Remember that David, Moses was the one who received the pattern with which the tabernacle was built. Are we paying attention? And in David's time, there was no tabernacle. It was lost. And yet, the Bible tells us that David said that by reason of the hand of God upon him, all right, he was able to receive the pattern for the building of the temple. And if you look at the pattern that David received and compare it to the tabernacle that Moses built, there were, there were variations. There were, you know, some, you know, do you understand that? Why? Everyone assumed a posture of looking into the heavens. Everyone. Remember, Moses was told to ensure that he built according to the pattern shown. According to the pattern given. And there was no way. Moses, David never met Moses in his lifetime. But how did David receive the pattern for the building of the tabernacle? He looked into the same pattern. Operation of glory and kingdom government that Moses looked into. Now that's why you will see that long after you know Solomon had built the temple and had gone, you will see that repeatedly each time the tabernacle is talked about, it was only talked about in relation to David, because of course the person who saw it is the one who built it. Do you understand that? Is the person who saw it That becomes the interface, all right, by which that administration enters into the earth. So, you know, repeatedly you would see that that has always been God's way of working with men. All right? But how did this all begin? It began with the first man. All right? So let's backtrack a little bit. So when you look at the first man, Adam, the scripture tells us. that verse 1, chapter 1 of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the earth was without form. Now, that earth, which he says that was without form, all right, is a tiny part of the earth in verse 1 that was created. You see, now don't be confused. Now, it's, it's because there were no better words to use. Now, because you see, when you look at the scripture, you see that the word earth, the word earth is used severally, all right, to mean different things, even though it's the same word, all right, even though it's the same word. For example, in chapter 5 of the book of Revelations, all right, it tells us about the seven spirits of God, which have been sent forth into all the earth. Now, that word earth there, used in the book of Revelation, all right, is not a word used in reference to this planet. Rather, it's a word used, all right, to describe spheres of habitations. They are spheres or they are realms of divine realities beyond this planet. You know, actually, you don't have to die <laughs> to come to that realization. You know, some people wait, okay, don't worry. When we all get to heaven, we all know who no things. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. You understand what I mean? You don't have to, all right? Now, a careful study of scriptures, all right, reviews many things that if you contemplate upon, it will activate the operation of sight in your own heart, giving you the leverage for what? Operating the realms of God. So in chapter 5 of the book of Revelation, he tells us, that the seven spirits are sent forth into all the earth. The word earth there is used in the book of Revelations. In the book of what? Now, I'm sure you know that the book of Revelation is a prophetic book. All right? Meaning that the things you see there cannot be given literal interpretations. I don't know if you get that. All right? They cannot be given literal interpretations. So when it says in chapter 5, That the seventh spirit have been sent forth into all the earth. All the earth. He's talking about all spheres of habitations. Everywhere. In all of the eternities of God. Yes, eternities. Because from the time that the eternities broke out of God, it has continued to expand. You see, it has continued to expand. Scientists have been able to prove that to us, all right, in how they have defined the existence of life. They tell you that life, all right, are we paying attention, is a phenomenon that continues to expand, continues to grow. So, from the time that God brought forth the world, all right, the world has continued to stretch. The ends of the world, the ends of eternity, all right, has not been realized yet. It continues to expand because what God spoke that became eternity, all right, is a reality that exists inside of him. Are we paying attention? What God spoke into him, all right, is a reality that exists inside of him. So, eternity is constantly expanding. Constantly expanding. Now, but when you look at the scripture, you will see that when God created things, all right, He did that in a manner that reflected or that reflects an order of divine government existing inside of him. And one of the things that God used in ensuring, all right, that order of divine government is to put realms, is to put dimensions, all right, of eternal existences under the oversight of spirits. Are we paying attention? There are spirits that exist in the realms of God that are given the responsibility of oversight. Now, one of such category of spirits are called in the scriptures cherubs. As a matter of fact, that is what, or that is where that name comes from, cherubs. Alright, in the Hebrew language means to cover. Or it means to spread over. To spread upon. Are we paying attention? And that is a word that describes their function. They are covering spirits. They are covering spirits. Now that's one of the reasons why when you look at the tabernacle that Moses built. You will see that it was cherubs. That Moses was instructed to Mode, all right, laden with what? With gold, all right, having their wings spread over the what? The mercy seat. And don't forget, Moses was told to make sure that he built according to the pattern shown him. So the thing about pattern here is that God was telling Moses that there is a way things are in the heavens. So you must build in a manner that mirrors that pattern. God didn't tell Moses to, to, to carve other kinds of creatures. He says cherubs. There are other kinds of celestial beings. God didn't tell Moses to carve other types. He said, carve cherubs. Are we paying attention? So for example, you, let's say you don't know any other kind. But at least you know the 24 elders. Moses wasn't told to carve any of the 24 elders. But cherubs. Glory to God. So, the, the eternities of God all right, subsist by a divine order. So what God did was in the create in the creation of all things, God set beings over different spheres, over different realms. He did. Are we paying attention? If you look at the book of Revelation, for example, there were different times in the book of Revelation where John encountered different beings. Remember Revelation chapter 10? Yes. Chapter 10. John said he saw a mighty angel. That's in the New Testament. In the New Testament. You know, somewhere one time somebody said, no, that the New Testament is not the testament. It's not the covenant of angels. It's the covenant of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, he said he saw this mighty being, all right, that had one of one foot, all right, on the land, and one on the waters. And prophetically speaks about the nations and the people. And he says this angel was so big that it filled all of the earth. And it had a rainbow around its head. And it was covered with cloud. You see? Now what John saw was not the Lord Jesus. He called it an angel. Don't forget he had seen the Lord Jesus in chapter 1. Are you paying attention? He had seen Jesus in chapter 1. In chapter 4, he had highlighted the seven burning lamps before the throne of God. You see, in, from chapter 5, after that Jesus had appeared as the Lamb slain from before the foundation of the world and received the book or the scroll that had seven seals, Alright, as he broke each seals, I we paying attention, it was each of the cherubs, the four living creatures, that would come to John and say, come and see. Are we here? Jesus was there. And it was these living creatures that were calling John, were facilitating John's elevated sight. Every time they said, come and see, he would see. You see, when you look at the realms of the kingdom of God, it is structured according to a divine pattern. You see? And how it is structured is not subject to your beliefs. It's not subject to your opinions. So you, don't, you can't say things like, I don't believe in that. God doesn't care. You see, it has been, it has always been. Your unbelief your won't change things. Are we paying attention? It won't change anything. It is you and I that is to come up to date with what things are like in the realms of God. You saw the scripture we read in chapter 11, the one pastor read, It was an angel who flew in between the heavens proclaiming, it says a mighty angel, proclaiming, saying the kingdoms of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of of our God and of his Christ. A mighty angel, he says. You see, if, if, if anyone would function effectively, In the kingdom, all right, he would, he must submit to the ways of God. If you are to function effectively in God's kingdom, you must submit to God's ways, you must become subject to the order of His kingdom. You see, so. It's really not about what you believe. No.
1: Glory to God.
0: So when you look at the first man, quickly, if you look at the first man that God created, God gave him a responsibility of... Okay, before I highlight that, remember that the first man that God created... Before he sinned against God, he did not live on earth. Remember? No, think about it. Chapter 2 says that. It says the man that God created, where did he put him? He put him in the garden that he planted in the east of Eden. So where was Eden? Eden was not on earth. Okay. All right. (laughs) All right, we're going to look at it. It's it's a school, amen. All right, let's look at chapter chapter 2 of Genesis, all right, very quickly so we can come back to Hebrews chapter 11, Genesis chapter 2. All right. Let's read from verse 1. It says, does the heavens and the earth Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. He said, these are the generations of the heavens and of the earth, when they were created, in the day that God The Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth. Now, he's talking specifically in relation to what the earth, all right? And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. You see? Emphasis is what? The earth. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. All right. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward. Where? In Eden. The emphasis before this verse was what? Earth. Now he switches and begins to talk about what Eden. All right. He says, and the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. So the man that he formed, he didn't put in the earth. He put him in the garden he had planted where? In the east of Eden. Are we paying attention? So where was man placed? Where was man? Where did God put man? In Eden. Where was Eden? (laughs) Not the garden. The garden was in the east of Eden. But Eden itself, where was it? Okay, that's one of the reasons we are here. All right. All right. Now, so look at it again. Verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden... Eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. You see, verse 9. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of Eden. And of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Verse 10. And a river went out of Eden. You see? Eden. Not out of the earth. A river went out of Eden to water the garden and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. It says, The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compassed the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, there is Bedelon and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same is it that compassed the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hidakel, that is it which goeth towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. All right? Now quickly, go to chapter 3. Let's see what happened after that man sinned. After that man sinned. Okay? Let's see from verse... um, From verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us, to know good and evil, and now lest he put forth his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth. From where? From the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So after that he had sinned, he was sent out of Eden. All right? But up until now, He lived his life where? In Eden and from Eden. Man lived from Eden. Remember that the responsibility we call the mandate given to him in chapter 1, where he was told to what? Multiply, all right, reproduce, all right, replenish, subdue, and have dominion. He was to do all of that from an environment called Eden. Eden was both a place, all right, And a state he was to function from. What we today call the dominion mandate. Man was to carry out from where? From a place and from a state. So it was not until he sinned that he was sent out of Eden. That was actually how man found himself on this earth. See in chapter, go to chapter one quickly. Go to chapter one. Let's see what happened after that man was created. From verse 26, and God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion. Listen carefully, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the earth, and over the cattle, and over all the earth. Over what? All the earth now, this earth, all right, that man was said to have dominion over is the earth that had that is seen in verse 2 to be in darkness that was recreated. You see, what you call creation in Genesis 1 actually is a recreation. Are we here? Please, I'm just trying to lay some foundation. We're not spending the whole time here. So just, all right? Don't worry, we'll take questions, but just follow. All right? So what you see, because verse 1 says, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says, and the earth was without form and void. No, no, no. Something is not, right? Something is missing. He couldn't have said in verse 1 that God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 2, he says, It's almost as though God didn't finish the job. No, he did. He did. Something happened between verse 1 and verse 2. In fact, Bible scholars all agree that what had happened was the fall of Lucifer. Alright? right. In other words, Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel 28 happened between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and verse 2. Are we paying attention? That is how come in chapter 3, he says the serpent came to them. At what point did he become the serpent? So God used men like Isaiah and Ezekiel to show us What happened between Genesis 1, verses 1, all right, and verse 2? Remember that in chapter 28 of Ezekiel, all right, as he spoke of Lucifer, all right, in his states of perfection before he became corrupt, all right, he highlighted a number of privileges he had. One of which is that what? He had been in Eden, the garden of God. And the time he's talking about is not when he came to tempt. Man, it was long before the first man was created. Are we here? Yes. Yes, oh, you want us to read it? Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, that's not the main thing. That's, I'm, I'm just referencing them. All right. But you may take down the note, you know. I don't know. Are we here? All right. So, it tells us that one of the privileges that Lucifer enjoyed before he became corrupt... Remember 28 of Ezekiel, he says, thou was perfect in the day you were created until iniquity was found. You see? So there was, and this time, this period of Lucifer's life that he's talking about before his corruption, the first man hadn't even been created. That is why he said at that time, Lucifer walked in a perfect state, in a, you know, walked in such glory and magnificence and splendor, beauty, alright? He says, at that time, he had access to Eden. He had access to the mount of God. He had the privilege of walking up and down the stones of fire. Ezekiel 28. All of that, alright, was long before the first man was created. So, when Lucifer fell, when he fell, The sphere, all right, of the earth that was put under him. You will see it in chapter 14 of Isaiah. He said, Thou art he that sealest up the sun. All right. Now, Lucifer wasn't the only guy. There were other cherubs like him. were, In fact, as a group, they were called sons of God. All right. Or they were called songs of the morning or morning stars. You will see the reference in the book of Job, Job 38. God was talking about when he created all things, when he brought forth the heavens, brought forth the earth. He said while he was doing this, he said the the morning stars sang for joy. Have you seen that scripture before? All right. See, they sang for joy when he was creating all things. Look at it. Let's quickly look at it. Job, rather, chapter 38. Job 38. Job 38. Glory to God. So we should be looking forward to God stretching us. Are you ready for some stretching? Let him stretch you. All right? When God wants to increase your level of responsibility will stretch you with revelation. You understand it? We stretch you with revelation. It is one of the hallmark of sons. All right? It says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, all right, quickly, and said, Who is this that darkened counsel by words without knowledge? Give up now thy loins like a man, for I would demand of thee an answer thou me. Go on. Where was thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? You see the word earth again? All right? This is another meta, spiritual metaphor. The word Earth is not just this planet. It's speaking of different spheres of habitations. Now, when we say spheres of habitation, we're not talking about other planets. We're not talking about Pluto. Some people are busy wondering are there other creatures in Pluto? No. In fact, the, spirit, the sphere that Lucifer had oversight before he fell includes all of what you see in these galaxies. You see, what Lucifer was sitting on before his fall is not this planet. It's a cluster of galaxies. No, not just one galaxy. (laughs) Not this Milky Way galaxy. It's a cluster. You see, cherubs are they're very terrible in glory and majesty. You see, See, that's why believers are the ones that should be the f- f- pioneers of knowledge for the world and for science. Science is just wanting, science is just catching up. Science is incapable, all right, of opening our minds to the true structure of creation. Are we here? What Lucifer was sitting on, what he sat on, look at it. Just, I'll come back to look at it. He said, where was that when I laid the foundations of the earth? So the word earth there speaks, is a metaphor used for spheres of habitations. Spheres of habitations. Remember in chapter 12 of Proverbs, you see wisdom speaking in similar manner. He said, I was there when he, he was using metaphors. He said, when he brought forth the mountains, he wasn't speaking of the molten magma of, 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 um. Is it Everest and Kilimanjaro? No. They were metaphors used for dimensions that exist in the eternities of God. They are called mountains. In Proverbs where they are called mountains. Everlasting administrations. Wisdom was saying, He said, I was there when the, when the mountains came forth, I was there when the fountains broke forth. He wasn't speaking of water. You know where water issues from. Are we here? So you see, so he says, where was that when I laid the foundations of the earth? These are everlasting habitations. Where were were you? He said, declare, if thou hast understanding. Go on, verse 5. Who had laid the measures thereof? If thou knowest. One says, who had determined the dimensions? It's not dimensions of human SI unit system." Do you understand that? Is it, or who had stretched the line upon it? Go on. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fasting? Or who laid the cornerstone thereof? When the, what? the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. When the morning stars. Now, quickly, take us to chapter 14 of Isaiah. Let's see Isaiah 14. Isaiah chapter 14 from verse 12 Isaiah 14
1: Okay All right, it say
0: how are that fallen from heaven O Lucifer son of what Son of the morning. You see, how are that called to the ground? We did this weaken the nations. So you see what he calls him? Son of the morning. Actually, that's what the, that's what the name Lucifer means. It means the shining one. But he wasn't the only one. You see, remind 30, 38 of Job? Where the morning stars, morning stars sang. You see? So here he's called Lucifer, son of the morning. Now let's go on, verse 13. Verse 13. He said, for thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above what? The stars. You see, he wanted to exalt his throne above theirs. Meaning he never had a throne above them. Do you understand? He was one of them. He belonged to that category. He didn't have any preeminence above them. But he wanted a seat above them. Are we paying attention? Yeah. The reason why Lucifer is talked, is talked about you know, in terms of his glory before his fall and his fall is because he was the only one in that assembly that fell. Now that's why many believers have come to a place where they've presumed all right, that he was of all the angels all right, he was the one that had the closest access to God. No sir. That is another lie Satan has succeeded in selling to us in spite of his fall. That guy just manages to still, you know, shove some level of honor into our heart that he never had before his fall. Because look at it. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So if he was among the stars above whom he never had a throne, where did that notion come from that he was the personal guardian angel of God? You know those narratives? There's another one where they said that he used to be the choir master of the angels in heaven. It's not in scriptures because 38 of Job said the sons of God sang. The morning stars sang. There was no choir leader. <laughs> they sang. If he, was, if he was their choir leader, why was he desiring a throne above them? If he was at any time in the past, All right, a personal guardian angel of God. All right, why did he desire a throne above them? Continue, I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sight of the north. So this second level, he didn't even have rights, the right of access. The first one, he had access there, but he didn't have preeminence there. The second one, he didn't even have access. You see, look at the third one. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. Above the heights of the cloud. You see, I will be like the most high. You see, let me quickly say this and we'll move on. You see, Satan, before his fall, belonged to the class of celestial beings you call cherubs. All right? And when you look at these celestial beings, they are, they are different categories. All right? The lowest of this category of celestial beings called cherubs are the cherubs that have one face. The highest all right, are those that have four faces. Satan belonged to the lowest before he fell. He was a one-faced cherub. Every time I say that, I feel him cringe. <laughs> you understand? He was. He was a one faced cherub. He was not a 2 faced cherub. He was not. He didn't even belong to the category of the 4 faced cherubs. So that notion that, you know, he used to be the personal guardian angel of God. So because of that level of access, so he desired, he, you know, then God banished him. Then so that that thing won't happen again, God now said what four living creatures. That's tales by moonlight. <laughs> you know that, that mindset. So that's, that's, why, that's why right now around the throne of God there are four living creatures. No, these four living creatures have been the four living creatures around the throne all right, from, it, from the eternal past. In fact, these four living creatures were brought forth before Lucifer. Alright, and the cherubs in his level were brought forth. These four living creatures. One of the problems is how we believers confuse Revelation 12. Alright? With Satan's initial fall. You know, in Revelation chapter 12, he talks about how that the dragon was cast down. That is not speaking of the initial fall of Lucifer. Revelation 12 is talking about a prophetic future all right from the time of the ascension of Jesus Christ Do you understand that a prophetic future that we come about on account of the ascension of sons all right to an ascended plane of maturity Are we here We'll touch on that later. But are you following? So Satan, Satan was not. He was not one mighty angel than all. No, he wasn't. So i say, Why did the scripture why did God in the scripture talk so much about him? He's because he was one who fell. And by his fall, other celestial beings under his oversight fell with him. The angel that fell with him, that's another problem. Revelations 12, all right? Remember Revelation 12? It talks about the dragon that pulled one third of the stars down. That one third of the stars are not angels. It's important to learn to read scripture in context. It says it was the dragon, not Lucifer. So he's talking about the dragon here. This is Satan. After that, he had become what? Satan. Do you understand? So he's not talking about his fall, all right, when he used to be Lucifer. He's talking about his current state as Lucifer, all right, and the power of deception. Notice what he says. He says he used what? It's tail to pull down one third. That word tail speaks of what? The extreme. Extreme. Have you noticed how the mighty have always fallen? How people have often gone into error is when in a bit of pursue revelation, they go extreme. When people don't stay within what? The path of truth is describing for you the means by which that brings the stars of God in Revelation 12. They are not angels. You know, So you have that mindset, Oh, one third thought of angels, fair with it, No, Stars there Speaks of saints. It's the book of Revelation. It's a prophetic book. The one third of the stars that Satan brought down with its tail are saints. Saints. Saints are also called stars in scriptures. Remember in Revelation, sorry, in Daniel chapter 12? All right? Chapter 12? It said, Many that turn, those that turn, many to righteousness. They shall what? They shall shine as stars in the firmament. So when he calls, when he speaks of stars in Revelation 12, okay, in Revelation 12, he's talking about saints, all right, who have gained divine wisdom or divine insight at different levels. But what did this not use in pulling them down? It's still. Those who go, they go to the extreme. Study history. People who started that well, who held on to God's word, the moment they start going to the extreme. And it's actually very easy to not go to the extreme. As long as you keep whatever you are seeing or hearing within the, you subject it to the, to the power of truth. You see, the moment what you are hearing, you can no longer see it in what is written. For whatever reason, you say it's elevated revelation. We must be able to see it. It must be written. It must be written. Or the moment people start taking what is written and they begin to twist it and distort its original contextual interpretation. They are the ones, he says, were what? Brought down by the dragon still. Not by Lucifer still. He was Lucifer before the fall. When he fell, he became Satan. He became, notice what he called him. He called him the old dragon. Are we here? So, Satan, before his fall, like other cherubs, all right, was given responsibility of spiritual oversight. That's why they are called cherubs. Cherub means covering, to cover. You see, and cherubs are given different levels of covering responsibility. Some, all right, are cherubs over worlds. All right, over, um, okay, let's use simple words. Some cherubs are given responsibility of covering or cherubic responsibility over the physical eternities Satan belonged to that category. He was one of the cherub that had the responsibility of governing the physical multiverse. So, a cluster of the multiverse was put under him. There are other cherubs like that. Remember in Job chapter one. Now, listen, remember Job chapter one, Job chapter two. Two times he says. The sons of God came before God. These sons of God in Job 1 and Job 2 are high-level, high-ranking celestial beings. These ones don't come to come and sing. They are not like the ones who come to sing. When they come to... These guys are beings that have custodianship over worlds. So when they come, like the way they came in chapter 1, they come to discuss governmental administration. That was why Satan showed up The detail of what happened there was veiled. That is why it appears as though what God asked Satan was, where are you coming from? And he said, I'm coming from going to and fro." No, that was just a, you know, it's, it's vague. No, what kind of an answer is that? Where are you coming from? I'm coming from going up and down. I'm just, I'm coming from taking a walk. The detail of what Satan said was veiled. Job is another very deep spiritual book. If you read it very carefully. Did you see Job's friends? They were very spiritual people. Very spiritual. Take for example, when the calamity that had befallen Job had befallen him, scripture says they came to visit Job. So when they saw Job from afar, as they were coming. How many of them came? Three. As they saw Job from afar, they all began to cry. They tore their clothes, or poured ashes on themselves crying till they got to where Job was. And he says, when they got to where Job was, they all sat on the floor. And no man said anything to another for the next seven days. How do you sit down for seven days without saying anything? They didn't sleep for seven days. Go and read it. Spiritual people. Mm. Discipline. (laughs) Discipline. There's some people that cannot, that they can't do without sleeping. You know. If you commit them to praying for one hour, they can't do without dozing enough. These men sat down for seven days. Not saying it to each other. It was on the seventh day they each began to speak in tongues. On the seventh day, seven days of sitting. Three of them came. Now, if you go for that, you say that. They each in turn began to speak. They began to bring forth the witness of God within the confines of their experiences until eventually a fourth person began to speak, the man called Elihu. Did you notice? We were not told when Elihu came. We were told when the three of them came. We were not told when Elihu joined them. We just said that Elihu just emerged in the conversation. And did you notice also, we were told when the three of them left, we are not told when Elihu left. Have you ever noticed that? When did he come? And when they left, we were not there's no record of when he came, there's no record of when he left, but there's, a, there's the record of his witness. And these three men, including Job, the fourth, none of them got scared. When Eliu appeared there, he actually appeared there. Listen, this is church. (laughs) They're not. This is the ecclesia. Let's talk like the ecclesia. Do you understand? Enough of, you know, you watch watch Nollywood. You know those Nollywood? But like the Yoruba one. When they tell you that there are three categories of witches. White witches, black witches, and red witches. You watch it, you can't sleep. What? <laughs> you see, the highest, all right, the highest level mystical assembly, Are we paying attention, in all of the universe of God is the Ecclesia. No, not the cherubs. Satan saw it. That was the assembly, the congregation. He said he too wanted to sit amongst. In Isaiah 14. Notice the first I will was to do what? Have his throne exalted above the stars of God. The second was what? Was to sit in the congregation. Satan saw the assembly of the ecclesia. And he wanted in. He wanted to be enlisted. So enough of you watch something and you are scared. Of what? The occult scare you. is scare you. Say it's black, it's black something. Plus. What we deal with are more mystical than that. Are you paying attention? What we've been enjoying to, the things that define our communion as Ecclesia, all right, are deeper than those things. I was talking to a man who, at the time, used to be in the occult. So he had had a number of setbacks, all right? So he was not very physically ill. So the doctor has been wanting me to come and, you know, talk to him and all of that, all right? For a while, until, eventually I went, I went. I happened to be preaching in their region, so I went. So when I got there, all right, we got talking. So while we were talking, the man began to make incantations while we're conversing. All right? And the table between I and him began to levitate. Began to levitate. And I looked at it. And I commanded the table to go back down. We continued talking. He smiled. We continued talking. After a while, he and the seat he was sitting on began to levitate. And I commanded the seat to go back down. Say, are you me? Scare me. You are levitating. Don't fire you. <laughs> You so, know what was he expecting? I'm saying, oh, oh! I'll start shouting at, at the top of my lungs, shouting tongues, not me, shouting blood of Jesus. <laughs> the abuse of the blood of Jesus. The man is saved now. No, he was left. What was he expecting me to do? I should scream. I commanded him to go back down. And I continue my conversation. Do you understand that? Now, his opinion has changed. I made him understand that if there's any word like that, the church is more occultic than the occult. Do you understand what I mean by that? In context. We are deeper in mysteries. What's that? We're not just, we don't just come and gather and sing. That's not it. Look at what the scripture says about where our gathering, alright, how our gathering initiates, where it initiates. It's in Zion. Remember Hebrews 12? From verse 22, he says, you've come to Mount Zion. The city of the living God. It's, that's not just a memory verse. It's a where God is present as the judge. Where you have innumerable. Innumerable is another word or a, another you know, metaphor for c- different categories of celestial beings. Innumerable. It's not just their numbers, but their, 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 their classes, their, their hierarchies. It says, innumerable coming of angels. He says, you have come to the church of the firstborn. Which are what? Written in heaven. No, don't read that and think, okay, it is those who have died. No. It is us. He's telling you that when we gather, it doesn't matter where and when. Every time we gather, all right, our gathering activates operations in the heavens. In the heavens, so no, no such thing as powers in the mothers from the mother's house should scare you. Powers from the father's house. Do you understand? Those are powers from parents' house. We we are. We belong to another power that is of the highest. Are we paying attention? It's important. See, it's important we understand this. All right, and begin to think like this. And begin to think like this. So, Satan saw. He saw. And he wanted in, he wanted to be initiated. He said, "I will sit in the congregation in the sites of the north." He saw the ecclesia, and he saw that not him, not even any one of the other ministers had the privilege of access to that assembly. Are we still here? So very quickly. So, you look at man, all right? I'm trying to lay some foundation for us, all right? So, you look at man in chapter 3 of Genesis. Okay, we said chapter 1. We're in chapter 1, all right? Where, after that, he was created. Look at it, verse 26. After that, he was created. Verse 26 again. And God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. You see, that popular mandate dominion all right, has been, um, has been mostly distorted. Now, when God, please listen, when God said to man, notice who he was talking to, to man. Are we here? To man. Now, it says, and God blessed them. Who are the them here? Man. This was man after he had just been created, remember? He wasn't formed, not until in chapter 2. No body, body had been given to him, but he had been brought forth. He had come forth by the word of God. All right? And they were called what? Man. That's what God said. He said, let us make man. He didn't say, let us make man and woman. So by architectural design, they were both called what? Man. Did you notice? They were both called man. All right? Man, male and female. Are you paying attention? So, Architecturally, all right, the man and woman are the same, all right, as it pertains to what the design of their spirit they are the same, the man and the woman, because it was the both of them after they had been created that God was now talking. Look at it, give it to us from verse 27 again, all right, from verse 26, from verse 26, all right, 26 please. He said, and God said, let us make man. That's what God said. Not man and woman. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the far of the, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping that creepeth upon the earth. All right, go on. 27. So God created man, not men. Not man and woman. So God created man in his own image. In the image God created, he, him. Male and female created he them. Male and female. What God created was man. That was both what male and female. I hope you know that it was Adam. That called Eve. Eve. It wasn't God. Adam was the one who called Eve woman. Genesis 2. After that God had formed her and brought her to him. Adam was the one who called her woman. It wasn't God. What did God call the two of them? Man, but what? Male and female. Are you here? Now, go on. Verse twenty-eight. Now, listen to verse twenty-eight very carefully. Verse twenty-eight. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Who was He talking to? Man, male, and what? Female. You see. So, what is popularly referred as the dominion mandate was spoken into the subconscious of who? of man, male and female. You see? So he said, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. Did you see the context? It tends to appear that when he says, be fruitful and multiply, he's talking to them. But when he says, replenish the earth and subdue it, he's talking to them about the earth. No, it's the same. What God actually said is, cause the air to be fruitful. Cause it to multiply. Replenish it and subdue it. You see, if we miss it here, we miss the dominion mandate. This scripture is not God telling them to give birth to children. So God wasn't telling them to multiply. God was telling them to cause the emphasis here was the earth in relation to man's responsibility of government. Not children. No, no, no. I know I'm, I'm disrupting an age-long... You know, relax. We are looking at scriptures. Look at it. It says, be fruitful because you will see that it, later in chapter 8, remember with Noah, God reaffirmed this. And knew what God was talking to already have children. But God spoke these words again. And it was not also in relation to what? To him having children. It was in relation to him what? A certain dominion. Over the earth. Giving the earth direction of function. Not God. At, as at this time, listen. Who was God talking to here? Just follow me quickly. God was speaking to man... While he was yet in a spirit state. So how could God be talking about children? Remember what Jesus said when he answered the Sadducees. About when men we arrive at the resurrection. He said they shall be like the angels. Who neither marry or are given in marriage. So in the state they are in here. Before a body was formed for them. God couldn't have been talking about children. Listen, listen. Now, some of you have stopped having your own children. So have you stopped being fruitful? You've stopped having your own children. Have you stopped multiplying? If multiplication is what is to replicate yourself. <laughs> you've gotten to three. You've stopped. That's not what he's talking about. Because, number one, listen, he was speaking to them while they were yet in the spirit state. Man. That's the first man. So he said, they were in that state. So he says, God bless. How did he bless them? He blessed them by what? By activating a mandate. And I'm going to show you shortly. So he says, be fruitful. This rendering is vague. Yes. Okay. So this rendering, be fruitful, tend to suggest that God was speaking to them. Be fruitful, no, rather, God was speaking to them, all right, in relation to what their responsibility over the earth should be, and God was speaking this to them while they were yet in a spirit state without a body. Are you honest? You get that now, so it says, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. the earth was the emphasis. And subdue it. It is the earth. Subdue it. And have dominion over. You see? That was the emphasis all along. Have dominion over what? The fish of the sea. The fowl of the earth. And over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. It was above the earth. connect the dots. Now don't forget this earth we are talking about listen, we said in verse 1, same chapter it says God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2 says and the earth was without form and void. Now so we've highlighted scriptures that shows us that a certain sphere of the earth had fallen into darkness. A certain sphere that used to be under All right, under the oversight of a certain morning star called Lucifer. So, when Lucifer fell, all right, that specific sphere experienced the darkness that resulted from his fall. But the other spheres, still under the oversight of other morning stars, remained intact. So when you see verse 2 where it says, and the earth was without form. It's not the whole earth in verse 1. Not the whole earth of verse 1. It's just a sector or a sphere. All right? In the courses where I've taught on this, I call it the subsphere. So it was the subsphere over which he had oversight. That is referred to in verse 2. Thank you. All right? To be without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. So it was that subsphere that you see highlighted in verse 2. So what God now did to that subsphere is that God now took a tiny part of that hole, that subsphere that was in darkness, took it and recreated it. No, not Eden. I'm coming to Eden. no, 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 no. I'm coming to Eden. Not into Eden. All right? He recreated it. So it is the recreation of a tiny part of this hole in verse 2 that you see from verse 3 to verse 25. The six days of creation leading to the seventh day of the rest of God. Are we here? So God now took that tiny part of this hole, that he recreated, all right? And as it were, presented it before man, all right? And he says to man, verse 28 again, to cause to be fruitful, to cause to be replenished. What God was saying is this, look at this tiny beauty I have recreated, all right? Multiply it until it overtakes the whole darkness. God did not touch all the darkness. The darkness you see, all right, the formlessness you see in verse 2, God did not put all of it in order. All right? He just put in order a small part. All right? And left it for man as a pattern or a model to replicate unto the rest of the darkness and the formlessness, all right, comes into alignment. So God actually gave the first man the responsibility of terraformation. Mm. So when God said to that man to be fruitful, it was not for him, it was for that man to exercise, all right, the authority has been given, all right, in taking that small portion of beauty. And cause it to overtake. You understand? Until all of that darkness and formlessness. right, Becomes the exactitude of that beauty. And light. That God had recreated. Are you following? That was... And has always been man's dominion mandate. Now because see, if you miss it here, every other thing you say about the dominion mandate goes up. It goes wrong. It goes into the ditch. This is the foundation. Now you will see it shortly as we progress from here. This was it. That was why, Now, if that small beauty was given to man as a pattern to be replicated across, that was why that man could not be put in that same earth. Rather, he was put somewhere else called Eden. So it was from Eden that he was to do what? Carry out the work of replicating across the whole formlessness that tiny speck of beauty, pattern of beauty. He didn't live in that earth. He lived where in eden and it was from eden he was to carry out the work of what we call the dominion mandate but what happened now man sinned what did god do on account or as a consequence of man's sin all right he was sent out of eden all right then he found himself in that in that world you understand that? He found himself in that planet, in that tiny speck of beauty. That place now became some kind of a residence or dwelling for him. Now, why he is in that planet, All right, he cannot carry out the dominion mandate at the level and proportion God had intended. Please follow. He couldn't. He wouldn't be able to do that. You need to be outside of that. But number two, because he had fallen, this tiny speck of beauty had also, as a result of his fall, fallen into darkness as well. So you now have, have something like two kinds of darkness. There was the darkness and formlessness resulting from what? Lucifer's fall. There was now the darkness all right, in this planet resulting from what? From the fall of the first man. Follow. Now, while he was in Eden, alright, he was given the responsibility of carrying out terraformation. The terraformation of the cosmos that was in darkness. The responsibility of terraformation was given, alright, was in connection to what? The cosmos, don't forget, that subsphere, all right? The galaxies that have gone, you understand, out of order because of the fall of its what? Its morning star. So before man's fall, his responsibility was to terraform the cosmos. But because now he had fallen, all right? And had been sent out of the place from whence he could overlook the cosmos. And had now found himself in the darkness, all right, of the prince of darkness. From that time of man's fall, the responsibility of terraformation, God began to open man into, all right, is the terraformation of the ages. Not cosmos. Before his fall, all right, his terraformation was to be what the whole of the cosmos that was in darkness, all right. But he had now partaken of the life, the life of sin. Are we paying attention of the fallen one, all right? So, as far as terraformation is concerned, he must not practice it at the level of ages, because this prince, listen, this prince. Of darkness under whose dominion man has found himself all right is called the Prince of the age he couldn't be called the Prince of the world remember 2nd Corinthians 4 the God of this world the world world there is age aeon not cosmos Satan is never given I we paying attention is never given the title of the God of the cosmos he is giving the title of the God of the Age, the Dark Age. You see, throughout in Scriptures, Second Corinthians four, He is called the God of this world, yeah. Aeon, not Cosmos. I'm coming to those words, all right. In Ephesians two, he's called the Prince of the Power of what of the Darkness of this world that rules in the what in the heart of the children of disobedience, all right. In First John chapter five, John says, "We know." Verse 18, I think. He said, we know that the whole world lies under the sway of what? Of the wicked one. The whole world there is is what aeon. Never in the scriptures is Satan referred to, all right, as being the God or a prince of the cosmos. He is always called the prince of what? Of the age. What is the difference? We're going to be looking at that. Now, if you come back to Hebrews chapter 11. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. What I did now was a crash course. <laughs> but just a Hebrews 11 verse 1 again. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Okay, go on. It says, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds... You see? Now, what's that word, world, there? Let me read it to us. That word, world, the word, world, there, is the Greek word, aeon. All right? We're going to look at that. The word, world, is the Greek word, aeon. Now, have you noticed that when you look at the epistles and see the repeated admonitions, we have, as saints of God, in regards to what our warfare posture against the oppression of darkness should be. It is always in relation to this age. Are we paying attention? Remember chapter 6 of Ephesians? From verse 12. What is it about the weapons of our warfare? It says, for we wrestle not against what? Flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, powers, Alright, rulers of the darkness of this world, wicked spirit that rule from heavenly places, the rulers of the darkness of this world. Alright, Ephesians 4. Sorry, first 2nd Corinthians 4, 3 into 4. He says even if our gospel is hid, it is only hidden to those whose mind the God of this world has blinded. Ephesians 2:2. 2, 2. He speaks of him as what? has been the prince of the power of the air, that roulette. So, repeatedly, it is aeon. Aeon. That is age, system, epoch, dispensation. And every time, the believer's warfare disposition is defined. Alright? It is in a manner that depicts what? The believer's position against what? Against this world. Aeon. Age. So, while, listen, while the first man before his fall was given a dominion mandate, are we paying attention? That was to oversee, are we here? The terraformation of the cosmos. All right? On account of his sin and the consequence that ensued that followed, are we paying attention? He now found himself in a place where what? His contention against darkness must be at age level, at dispensation level, at epoch level, at system level. So, the believer now must rise from that place. And that is what scripture says about what our warfare position should be until we eventually get, until we eventually get to that place where through us, Revelations 21 becomes fulfilled. 21 verse 1. He said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. He said, for the former heaven and the former earth were passed away. The new heaven and the new earth uh, speaks of what? The recreation of the entire cosmos that was in darkness. And it's not God that will do that. It will be God through the saints. The saints are the one that would, are we here? Because the responsibility God gave to a man, he will never take it back. Yeah. Remember? Romans 11, yeah. 26, is gifts and callings. Are irrevocable. He doesn't take it back. God gave that responsibility to man. We're going to, don't worry about it. I'm just, do you understand? We're going to break it tomorrow. I hope you are not going to miss any session. Don't miss any session. Glory to God. Alright, so we're going to break it down. So, the responsibility God gave to the first man, God will not, It back so the responsibility given to the first man that he failed, all right, is not the responsibility, it is are we paying attention? It is the responsibility of the last Adam. Yes, you know, there is he that the scripture calls the last Adam, first Corinthians 15 45. All right, it says, The first Adam was made a what. A living soul. The last Adam was made what? A life-giving spirit. Now, the word last, in verse 45 there, is the Greek word eschatos. All right? Where you have the word eschatology. No eschatology. The study of the end times. The study of the last days. So, in the last Adam, all right? The first Adam, the anatomy of the first Adam collapsed, found its end. That is why the last Adam, all right, represents a creation. 2 Corinthians 5 refers to us as a new creature. Remember? Verse 17. Are we paying attention? What does he say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or new creation. He says, behold, all things are what? You see? That's actually what happened. That is why when you embrace the life of God by coming under the lordship of Jesus, alright, you took on another life. You took on another life. I will paying attention. On account of what God accomplished in Jesus Christ, alright, I we paying attention. The life of God has now become the life Of the new creature so the being you call the new creature all right the life of the being the personality you call the new creature all right is the same shared life with god are we paying attention the first man all right has a certain kind of life that the scripture in first corinthians 15 45 all right describes as what? A living soul. The phrase living soul is a phrase used as a metaphor to describe the the structural design of that first man. So at the new birth, I will pay attention, at the new birth, what you call the life of that first man, it's imploded inside of you. Do you understand? It's imploded. It couldn't but have imploded because already on account of what happened to the first man, are we here? That life entered into a state of corruption. When man sinned, when man sinned, all right, the natural human life, all right, entered into a state of corruption. So what God came to do, all right, in the person of Jesus, all right, was to bring an end to that life. Listen carefully. So basically, what you call humanity, it ended. It ended when Jesus came out of hell. What you call humanity ended. Yes, in order for God to do that, he became human. Hebrews chapter 2. All right, I'm doing some kind of introduction. All right, from tomorrow, we'll look at these scriptures. We'll look at them. All right, are we paying attention? Are we here? We'll look at them. You know, there's some of us are looking at me. <laughs> I'm quoting your Bible. All right, I'm quoting from your Bible. All right, we'll look at these scriptures in bits. All right, from tomorrow, Saturday. All right, so in Hebrews chapter 2, he tells us. Alright? Are we paying attention? Yeah. Alright? He tells us that in order for God to do what he intended to do in Christ, alright, he said he did not take on, alright, this is my own paraphrase, he did not take on the nature of the angels. He said, but he took on the nature of the seed of Abraham. That means he became human. You see, he became human. You see, as a living soul, but without sin. That was the difference between the life Jesus lived, all right, and that of the first man. Jesus, God was born as a man, but without sin. So in other words, Jesus was like the first Adam, but without sin. Are you paying attention? But without sin, he was without sin. Now that he was without sin does not mean that he wasn't subject to temptation. He was. Because Hebrews tells us that he was tempted. You know, do you understand that? He was tempted. You see. But the way in which he was born was in such a manner that prevented his DNA from having the record of sin. Written on it. Do you understand that? Are you paying attention? That's when you look at how the scripture traces the genealogy of Jesus. All right. The genealogy of Jesus, all right, is traced in a manner that tracks, that tracks the first point in time that he was first released into the heart of man. You see, every human being, all right, Are we paying attention? Every human being, all right, came from the first Adam. Are we paying attention? By traveling as seeds, all right, in the genealogy of the first man. But Jesus, on the other hand, all right, are we paying attention? Traveled from the first man, all right, as seed. Within the environment of the heart of men, it didn't travel a seed within the chambers, all right, of human DNA. At what point was Jesus introduced to the first man? From the scripture, we see that Jesus was first. That's the gospel was first preached to the first man. After that, he had fallen. Do you understand that? That's what you see in Genesis chapter 3. When God spoke of his plan of redemption, when he said the seed of the woman, will bruise the head of the serpent, while the serpent will bruise the heel of the human seed. Now that's just a spiritual summary of the proclamation of the gospel. Are we paying attention? So man, in his fallen state, had the gospel of redemption proclaimed to him. That is actually where God's work of grace began, where Paul tells in Ephesians too. All right, that it is what it is without works. You understand that? Are you paying attention? Yeah. So when Paul also tells you that while we were yet sinners, so it was after that man had sinned that the hope of redemption was proclaimed in his hearing. That was God's way of letting you know wealth from the beginning that it is going to be by grace. So God took his plan of redemption and proclaimed it into the heart of a man that had just sinned. He didn't proclaim it while he was yet in a perfect state because the state he was in before the fall was not even the perfect state. It is cool. It is cool. That is what it is. It is cool. That is what it is. Don't worry. We are going to look at this. Are we paying attention? We are going to look at this. Glory to God. Oh, don't you love Jesus? Yes. Yes. Oh, glory to God. All of this is we are going to look at them. Don't worry. If you disagree, don't worry. It's okay to disagree. It's school. In school, you can have different opinions until we now begin to look at the scriptures. All right? And dissect so we'll be comparing as it were all right your previously held belief with what is clearly written are we paying attention yes, yes no the first man the first man now this what you see in verse what you see in verse 26 of Genesis what God proclaimed about his intent that is exactly what it was it was his intent That first man was not the image of God. He was made to become the image of God. Satan knew. It's there, Genesis 3. That was why he could tell him. Satan told them. The serpent told them. He said, God knows that in the day you eat of this, you shall be like God. Satan knew they were not like God yet. They too knew they were not like God. That was why they could be tempted. A man does not lust after what he already has. Yeah. After what he is. They were not in the image of God. They were not. That was why they could be tempted. Remember? Yeah. James 1. He says, God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither does he tempt anyone. That was why Jesus too could be tempted. Satan tempted him because of what? Jesus before the cross. Are you paying attention? Was not the image of God. He became the, it was as the image of God, he came out of hell and the grave. That is why in Hebrews chapter 1, he tells you, he says, when God brought him into the world, what did God say? He said to him, "Say today I have begotten you. That today was what? Was the day of his justification in hell. That is why, look at that scripture I quoted earlier. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. He says, the first man was made... I want to look at it. The first man was made, you see, was made a living soul. His making here speaks of what type of life he had when he was brought forth. No, he didn't become a living soul when he sinned. It was as a living soul that he emerged. And that's not the nature, that's not the architecture of the life of God. Look at this last man. Say the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Now Jesus here is the one being referred as the last Adam, and he's being made here. All right, is not in is not spoken in relation to his natural birth. All right, because the same book of Hebrews chapter two says that that he took hold of what of the nature of the seed of Abraham. All right. It was when he came out, all right, of hell, that he came out as what, as a quickening spirit, as a life-giving spirit. That was the best word that Paul or probably the translator to come up with to describe the type of life with which Jesus was raised. That's why in chapter one of Hebrews he references what. The prophet had spoken in the Old Testament when he says that when God brought the firstborn back into the world, he said to him, today you are my son. Today I have begotten you. That is why in that same Hebrews chapter 1, all right, look at it. Chapter 1, Hebrews. It's like I'm quoting a law. all right, but let's look at chapter 1 of Hebrews. Look at from verse 1, chapter 1 of Hebrews from verse 1. He said, God who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. All right. In time past by the prophets. That time past speaks of who? Speaks of what era? What dispensation? What would today call the old testament? Are you paying attention? What would today call what? The old testament. All right. He said, He hath in these last days. What is he calling the last days? Alright. You know, scripturally, what is called the last days? All right. Is what you today call the New Testament. Post law era is what is called the last days. The prophets spoke about it. You see, really, if you want to understand, if you want to have a proper understanding of the gospel, you need to trace the gospel to those who first preached it. The first proclaimers of the gospel are the prophets in the Old Testament. That was why, if you notice, look at the epistles. There was not. There is nothing new in the epistles that hadn't been talked about in the Old Testament. What the apostles did with the epistles was to explain, as it were, to explain to the people what had been taught, what had been preached. None of the apostles said anything new. That's why Paul, all right, was one such person who, several in his letters, all right, are we paying attention? Several in his letters. Reference the prophets. All right. Spoke of the prophets as those who were first to preach the gospel. Are you paying attention? They were the first. You see it in Romans chapter 1. Romans 1, 2, 3. You see? Now, so the prophets spoke of the conclusion of that dispensation of the law, all right? And the point of the commencement of another dispensation as the last days. So when Joel said, it shall come to pass in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Joel was not referring to the 21st century. He was referring to the conclusion of the dispensation of the law, all right? and the commencement of another era, which happened when Jesus died. That was why Jesus said to the people, he said, don't think I have come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. Jesus, by his death, all right, ended what we call the Old Testament, or better still, all right, by his death, all right, brought fulfillment to the Old Testament. Testament. So the old covenant did not end. It got fulfilled. So when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. You must understand the context. So the death that Jesus died alright, was is what brought fulfillment to the old testament. That is why he now tells you, remember, Second Corinthians. He says, All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are here and amen. What are the promises? It is those old testament promises. So, what were promises in the old testament? You have no business claiming it. Yes. All the promises in the Old Testament, you have no business claiming it. (laughs) You see, there are a lot of things we teach that sounds nice. You want to claim the covenant of divine healing. Listen, are you aware that God did not give the new creation the covenant of divine healing? It is the people under the law he gave the covenant of divine healing to. It is the people under the law. He gave the covenant. Relax. you be ready for Bible study. Some of you are ready to do like this. Your faces are changing. Your faces. I'm seeing you. Don't worry. I'm both in the flesh and I'm in the spirit. So in the flesh, I'm seeing your faces change. <laughs> so we are probably thinking, all those promises I'm confessing that, is, that are written on, my, written on my shelf. Am I going to go and tear them off? Don't worry. God brought you this weekend. He brought you this weekend. Listen, listen. That is why you will notice all of these covenants or blessings or promises that they were given under the law, they were predicated on the condition of the people's obedience. Yes, yes, yes. You see, what I'm sharing with you is the fundamental of the gospel that if you miss it, it will show in your life. It doesn't matter how how much of an anointed apostle you become in the future. If you miss this foundation, it will show. (laughs) Yes. It doesn't matter how much of an anointed prophet you become. It will show. All of this is a... When Peter, rather Paul, was saying to the Corinthians, all the promises of God, what do you think he was talking about? He was talking about the law. The law has promises. Promises. That was hinged on the people's what? Obedience. That is why the law as far as the blessings in Daring are concerned, right, works in such a manner that God says if you do this, I will bless you. Conditional. If you are hacking, I will do this. Have you noticed that? There is no such thing in the new covenant. In the new covenant, all of that's what Paul means. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are ye and amen. In the new covenant, the manifestation of those blessings are not hinged on your obedience. We are not saying you should live in rebellion. We are just stating what is fundamentally true. They are hinged on the obedience of Jesus. So that means how they become manifest in your life all right, is not in any way predicated on the condition of what you do. They are all predicated on the condition of what God has done in Christ. You see, this is one of the things about the gospel that causes the religious minds to fry. <laughs> they want to help God. Help God ensure that, no, you can't, you can't, you can't. That's why you hear very dangerous statements such as this. But they've been there, but we didn't pay attention. Very dangerous statements such as what you see in First John, chapter 1, chapter 2, sorry, 1 John, chapter 2, verse 1. He said, I've written to you, little children, that you see not. He said, if any man sins, all right? You said, and if any man sins, right? Let him know that what? We have an advocate with the Father. Jesus, the what? Who is what? Notice, the propitiation, all right? Someone like the translation says atonement for our sins, notice. He said, but not only for us, but also for the sins of the world. In other words, you don't need to do anything to qualify for the benefits, all right, of his atonement. All you need to do is just to receive it. That is what you did at new birth. And you don't stop doing that thing you did at new birth. After new birth, you continue to just receive. You continue to just believe. You don't do anything. You didn't do anything before new birth to end salvation. And salvation is from the Greek word soteria, which means the total package. Salvation is soteria. It means healing, it means deliverance, it means forgiveness. In fact, another word used to interpret it is complete well being. Do you understand that? So, just before you start thinking, so are you saying people can live anywhere? No, that's not what we are saying. We are explaining the fundamental first. Don't read your mind into it. That's the problem. People not say, are you saying, did we say so? We didn't say so. Did God say so? He didn't say so. That's what religion does. Now, did you see that? The same apostles that spoke this into the saints also went on to bring forth admonitions to live right, to bring forth fruits of righteousness. But did you notice that as far as those admonitions are concerned, they didn't hinge it, they didn't make it a condition for getting anything. Right, right. They made it, they portrayed it in a manner that depicts the fruit you should bring forth as one that has obtained salvation. They didn't make it a condition. In you know, under Under the law, it was different. You have to live right to get this. You have to live right to experience that. In, the, in Christ, open attention, you live right because you have experienced this. Do you understand? It's a huge difference. In Christ, you are to live right because you have been shown mercy. Under the law, you have to live right to be shown mercy. He tells you The new creation of Ecclesiastes 4. Alright? It's a put off. You see, those kind of admonitions, you don't see them stated in a manner that suggests conditions for getting anything. You don't see them. I challenge you. Check it in scriptures. You don't see it. Those who thought they saw it, they were actually reading their minds into it. Let the scripture speak for itself. That is why the Old Testament saints. They looked forward to this so great salvation till they died. Because they were living a life of conditional obedience. But they saw this one that is a, an expression of God's grace without works. So they kept looking forward to it till they died. They saw it as a better covenant. That is why it tells in chapter 11 of Hebrews, it says, all this, when he mentioned those on the offering of faith, all this died, not receiving the promise. It was called the promise. They didn't receive it. But they kept looking forward to it. So you can imagine those who engage the conditions of long life and they live long. And notwithstanding, continue to look forward to this better one. They knew that the covenant for long life is not the real thing. say Face yeah. Faces change again. What's this man saying? Is he saying we should not live long? <laughs> what you received in Christ is better than long life. Amen. We'll see if we can touch it on Saturday. Yes. You no, know, our response actually will. One of the way to encourage me. When I'm sharing something, you don't agree. Just keep smiling. (laughs) Keep smiling. But if you are distorting your face and you're... Just be pretending that you are getting it. Okay. Okay, okay. Taking it in gradually. All right, that's a better response. Glory to God. We're going to look at this. It's important. You see, um... Um... When you look at culture, that's what the the, the theme of this myth says, all right, terraformation, cultural transformation by assessing mystic arms. Now, when you look at cultures, we are going to see where cultures come from. The, The culturing of men, or the giving, the stewarding of the civilization we call culture to men who we'll look at it from where did it where did it all start now when we check these things you will see that from time immemorial all right the world of the spirit all right have been in some kind of you know as it were contention As it were, raising against each other, all right, to facilitate the culturing of men. Satan had long been, as it were, raising against God, all right, to sponsor the culturing of men, to impart to men a civilization that is a reflection of his own wisdom. So that's when you look at scripture. Scripture talks about the wisdom of God that Christ is. Remember? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 29. says, "But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom. The scripture also talks about the wisdom of this world. You see, what is called the wisdom of this world is not an Old Testament thing. It, rather, it's not a new covenant thing. Rather, it has been... You see, we're going to look at that. That's another thing we're going to be looking at, all right? On the foundation of these things, we are touching. And you also see that there was never a time that people, that human society or human beings, all right, assessed wisdom, all right? without engaging spiritual forces. There was never a time. Every time human society, all right, have attempted to tap into, you know, a level of civilization, they have done that by plugging into a flow of wisdom, all right, that is beyond the natural. We're going to look at this from scriptures. Now, this is one of the reasons why. For you as a believer, for you as a believer, we cannot effectively live the high life, you see, of God if we do not tap into the depth of God's wisdom by revelation and live by the same. Because what is on the other hand called the wisdom of this world, all right? Are we paying attention? Had long from tiny memorial been plugged into by people who became subservient to the reality of the realm of darkness. We're gonna look at it from scriptures, you're gonna see it. So, one of the reasons why we are touching these things. All right. You see, revelation knowledge must be accurate. It must be accurate. Because when you, when you look at the scripture, you will see that the gospel is not all about just making heaven. Many believers have thought that it's just so that we can make heaven. If that's what God wanted, he should have taken everybody to heaven. Jesus should have done that the moment he was raised. Or God should have just committed himself to killing you instantly. Mm-hmm. As soon as you were committed to Jesus. So it's not about going to heaven. You see? You see? That's what pastor was saying. And that's why you saw that. What we did was to trace it to the book of Genesis. To the book of Genesis. That's why we are showing that. You can function effectively. If truth. Does not crystallize in your heart. In a very clear manner. In a very clear
1: manner. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you,
0: Jesus. So, I, I, you know, as we begin this meeting, alright. I, I want you to, to talk to your Father. Oh, talk to him and, and in your own words... Tell him, tell him how much open you are in your heart for his truth. Tell him that within the next couple of days we'll be fellowshipping together. Ask him, you, you give him the permission as it were to cut your heart with the light of his truth. Tell him you are not, you are not, you are not afraid of losing False beliefs, you're not afraid. Tell him to see you. You know that scripture in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 12, talks about the word of God how that it is sharper than a two edged sword and it pierces even to the what dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrows. He said, and it's a descendant of what of the heart and the intents thereof. The following verse says, he's speaking of this word, he says, and there is no creature. That is hidden from the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Tell him that as the living word during this meeting. Tell him to see you. Tell him to expose every darkness. Tell him to look into the nooks and crannies of your heart. And expose anything that is, that is contending and contesting against the advance of his life in your heart. In your own words, tell him. Like David said, he said, search me, search me and see if there's any iniquity in me. Search me. Iniquity in this context means that which is not according to truth. That which is according to the traditions of men. No wonder Paul in 2 Corinthians 10 said, he said the weapons of our warfare, they are not natural, they are not ordinary, they are not carnal, but they are mighty for pulling down strongholds. Strongholds of reasonings. Strongholds of human philosophies. Strongholds of thoughts that exalt themselves against, the, against Christ. Tell him to search you. Oh, search you. Search you by his truth. Causing the surge of light and glory to encompass you. Go ahead and talk to him. Manasupretemo godiba madaba. No mandari pa du kama na so so pa telege di katala da